San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, everybody, my name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you download the app for 760KFMB or tune in radio, you can hear the show as it airs on any device. And, of course, all the podcasts are commercial-free on iymoney.com. Now time to introduce the main man of the hour, a CPA extraordinaire, an accomplished marathon runner, a philanthropist, a lecturer, and a family office expert advising several high-net-worth families. His name is Richard Musio. Richard, good evening. How are you tonight? Doing great, Joe. We're both heading down to the desert for some tennis, but right. let's not waste any time because... Right. right. Well, hang on a second. Okay. Do I you have wa- something? Well, I know we're going to get on with a, with a great octogenarian, and uh, I met another one this week, uh, Richard Brown, who just opened Biggie's Burgers down in Pacific Beach, and believe it or not, he's got a fantastic 20-year operation up in uh, San Clemente. This guy comes up to me, he's 80 years old, and Mike, you would be proud because he uh, looks, <laughs> he looks 60 as well. So anyway, our, our guest on the line for I think the second or maybe even third time is three-time governor of Massachusetts, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and a candidate for the presidency of the United States and an intellect and a humanitarian all-around good guy, Mike Dukakis. Mike, welcome back to our show. Good to be back. Uh, Good to talk to you. Wonder- it's nice to be in Southern California yeah. for our 23rd winter quarter at UCLA. Yes, for folks that don't know, Mike's been coming out here and Kitty uh, for about 20, for 23 years to speak for the City yep. Club uh, for George Mitrovich. Thank you, George, who's also a past guest of this show. And uh, it's just an honor to have you on again, Mike. So uh, I know you've been uh, not missing the Boston weather. Uh, whoever thought of this uh, th- this great um, um, gig you have in, in L.A., they call it what the uh, when they come from Canada? What do they call it, Richard? Snowbird. Snowbird. I, Snowbird. A, yeah. Snowbird. I was invited yeah. to come out here and deliver a guest lecture 24 years ago. <laughs> and it seemed to be pretty well received. I've, I, I've been teaching full-time at Northeastern University in Boston for about the last 27, 28 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were on a quarter system. UCLA's on a quarter system. And I came back to Boston. I said to Kitty, who does not like New England winters, even though you know she's a New Englander, <laughs> I said, what would you think if I taught during the winter quarter at UCLA, and then I do the next three quarters at Northeastern. Uh-huh. Said, Sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> and we've been doing it ever since. It's really been wonderful. Yeah, we were, we were complaining last week because it was only getting up to 62 degrees. Yeah. That's how spoiled yeah, we are. Folks were, so, folks were freezing. <laughs> yeah. So, so what course do you teach there, Mike? Are you in- I teach two courses, one to undergraduates, one to graduates. The, the uh, undergraduate course is called California Policy Issues, and as you can imagine, it deals with big issues facing California, most of which obviously are national issues. I mean, this right. state has got 38 million people. Per, uh, pension, then I, pensions, then I teach a graduate yeah. course in leadership. Ah, uh, You know, how do you get things done in the public sector? What are the skills you need and that kind of thing? Heavily case-oriented. Yeah. So it's a very busy quarter, but it's a lot of fun, and I've got some fabulous students. And one of the interesting things about what's been happening lately mm-hmm. is that um, uh, Trump, uh, <laughs> inadvertently or otherwise, is turning kids on to public service. I mean, that fans oh, of them, yeah. do want to get into public service. And I've got kids pouring into my office. How do I get involved? What do I do? Um, are there internships I should begin with and that kind of stuff? So, so in addition to the courses, uh, one of the great things about being out here is that I have a chance to chat with these kids. Yeah. And, uh, well, I... and at least start them on the road to public service. I don't do it on a partisan basis. I want these 
yeah. students to you know to go into public service. I don't care whether Republicans or Democrats, but or independents, uh, they really are turned on these days. Mm-hmm. Well, and, there's, yeah, uh, there's a record number of women running this year. I just heard that. Only a record this. number of women, but you know, just young people generally are really fired up. Well, so. you know, I think those Parkland those Parkland students, God bless them. I think they really uh, they inspired adults, grandparents, and their peers alike. Uh, they're just phenomenal. It's terrific. And let me tell you, I've never been so you know I've been in politics, needless to say, for a long time. I don't think I've ever been more angry mm. than I have been over what happened down there yeah. and the reaction. Yeah. Um, you know, I come from the state with the toughest gun laws in the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't walk around with a concealed handgun without a license to carry it issued by the local police chief. Mm. And they don't issue these things lightly. Yeah, yeah. And not surprisingly, Massachusetts has the lowest homicide rate in the country and the lowest suicide by gun rate in the country, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, well it's, it's and, great that the young uh, kids you know, are interested. I, you know, this yeah. this Second Amendment stuff and and uh, the NRA and this kind of thing is just appalling to yeah. me. But I, I give all credit to Trump because he's the guy who put the word fun and dysfunction. Well, so anyway. whatever. But. Uh, <laughs> But uh, you know the the ironic thing is those two two of the kids uh, speaking out David Hogg and I think Cameron Caskey one's father is ex FBI mm-hmm. and the other one is uh, an ex police is a police officer so they've grown up with guns and and the whole the whole uh, dilemma is I mean everyone may have a constitutional right to a gun but not everybody should have a gun and you don't let me tell you something the Second Amendment does not give you a constitutional right to have a gun okay you know Scalia was a classmate of mine at law school really. Obviously, much more conservative. Yeah. He wrote that opinion. Yeah, the hell. It does mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. say in any way that you have a constitutional right to have a gun. It says that governments can regulate guns reasonably. Right. Which has always been the law. Mm hmm. And makes all kinds of sense. That came from Scalia. So I right. don't know what these people are talking about. Well, then the other thing is if government can regulate, then they should regulate, and they should regulate more effectively, I would think. No so. question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you well, know, automatic. Automatic weapons? I mean, what are we talking about here? Yeah. No background checks? Assault weapons. Well, I mean, you know, the cool thing is the NRA is really under attack now, and I, it's glad to see these corporations and Dick Sporting Goods and other big uh, entities. I take, think that's terrific. Yeah, I so, think that's absolutely terrific. Hey, where are you going to be on March 24th? Are you going to be marching somewhere? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be getting ready to celebrate Greek Independence Day, which has oh, to that's be on right. the 25th. That's the 25th. That's right. <laughs> well, well, don't be shooting any guns in the air there, Mike. And, and, and reading and grading final exams. <laughs> So how is it looking for the ball, the Red Sox and the Padres this year? Any uh, predictions? Well, I can't I can't talk about the Padres. You guys know more about that than, <laughs> than I do. But you know, Boston is is a crazy baseball town. It's oh, a crazy yeah. sports town, as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. Needless to say, yeah. Um, and we've you know our teams have had great success. No question about it. I mean, too bad that the Patriots didn't win another one. But yeah, they've, they've had their share. Oh yeah. And uh, we live actually about a, a twenty minute walk from Fenway. Yeah. I mean, we can hear the roar of the crowd at night. Well, yeah, well, you and, live in Brookline, and you, you walk to school and back every day, right? I walk to Northeastern every day. Two and, miles uh, up and back? If, if we're going to go to Fenway, we walk there. And, you know, people tend to forget this, but there was a real drive-on by some folks, including the former ownership of the Red Sox, to tear the place down Ooh. and replace it with a phony version of the real thing for $850 million bucks. Uh, No thanks. And, uh, you know, I went to my first game when I was four and a half in 1938. Lefty Grove was pitching at Jimmy Fox was playing first base. <laughs> and um, I've been, in fact, I used to catch for the Democrats when the Democrats and Republicans in the legislature uh-huh. played their annual baseball game. Uh-huh. 
And uh, in one of them, I'm sorry to say, I uh, put the tag on uh, a, a decent Republican named Al Gamble and broke his leg in three places, um, <laughs> which was <laughs> which was kind of interesting. So, so you know, we we we've grown up with with uh, the Red Sox yeah. tour kids, Kitty and I. Well, you have a great. And, uh, well, if they tear it down, I want the Sitco yeah. sign. Well, they're not going to tear it down. I in know. Point of fact. Uh, to the great credit of Larry Lucchino yeah. and the new ownership, mm-hmm. they stopped, they took a look at it. He brought his architect, Janet Marie Smith, up from Baltimore. She had designed uh, Camden Yard. Uh-huh. And uh, they not only didn't tear it down, they added they added 6,000 seats, including the so-called monster seats. Mm-hmm. And that place is just breathtaking. Uh, just breathtaking. Yeah. So what do you think of the signing of uh, J.D. Martinez? I'm very impressed. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> I'm very impressed. And I'm reading, you know, I read my globe over the Internet every day. And uh, Martinez apparently is a darn good outfield. He's not just a, a, a swinger and a hitter. I mean, yeah. he's, he takes great pride in his, uh, in his uh, fielding and I think was runner-up for, for a gold, gold, yeah. gold, gold glove uh, Golden Gloves. One was a couple couple of years ago, but yeah. there was a big piece on him today in the Globe. Yeah. Hey, did you ever see he that? Talked about he talked about the the work he's done to become an excellent mm-hmm. outfielder. Mike, did you ever see one of the greatest hitters of all time from San Diego who played for your Boston Red Sox? I Ted, certainly Ted, did. Ted Williams. You saw him of play. Of course. Huh? Yeah. Of course. His last yeah. at bat, age forty one, I believe he hit a home yep. run. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yep. and you know who he hit it off of? Well, anyway, anyway. doesn't matter. <laughs> hey, Mike, uh, we got, we have to kind of wrap it up here though, uh, right now. But they, are your classes online at all? I mean, the videos? Are they any videos of I them? I don't think they're they're online. There may be some film of me teaching. All right, uh, here at UCLA, but it's it'll we'll probably do, be just we'll do an extra. online. Hey, and go Northeastern, yeah. call it, uh, NCAA tournament, Northeastern, yes, all yes, the way, indeed. man. Okay, Governor Mike Dukakis, thanks for being our guest, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. God bless you and Kitty. Take care. All right, we're going to come right back with our guest from the Humane Society right after this. Hang on. All right, we are back with the award-winning It's Your Money Under Life. That was great having Governor Mike Dukakis on in our first segment. And in this segment, from the Humane Society of the United States, a good friend of Richard's, uh, John Bach. Josh Bach. Josh Bach. Bach. Anyway, but Josh. Josh, yeah. Josh, we were talking about well, baseball to, with Governor Dukakis. So I've got to ask you, with a name like Bach, did you have to play baseball? You know what? You do have to play baseball. And, in fact, I was a pitcher growing up, and I wanted to be a professional pitcher for the Chicago Cubs. Okay. My first word was Bill Buckner. He played uh, first base <laughs> on the Cubs at the time. I and remember. for Governor Dukakis from Massachusetts, he knows what Bill yeah. Buckner was all about <laughs> at the end of his career, sadly, which is that famous era in the World Series. Exactly. So, yeah. yes, to answer your question. But you know what? You know what people forget is if Bob Stanley hadn't thrown that wild pitch – Bill Buckner would have been holding the guy on first, and the ball would have been hit right to him. Well, you know, you have a very good memory. I do. You have a very good memory. And, I do. And, uh, I, think, I always think that uh, he hasn't been remembered for how good a hitter he was. He had and almost I'm happy 3, that the Red hits. Sox finally won to kind of get over that. Exactly. Did you grow up in Chicago? You know, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, okay. and I was a late talker. My dad happened to be watching a Phillies-Cubs baseball game. Oh, for whatever okay. reason, I said the words Bill Buckner. So my dad wanted me to keep talking, which he might regret to this day. And so he <laughs> had me watch as many Cubs games as possible. Okay. So, Josh, now you are based in San Diego? or 
I'm, I'm based in lovely Washington, D.C., ah. uh, at our headquarters at the Humane Society of the United States. Gotcha. So how did you and Richard ever cross paths? That's through our guest, John Paul, who's sitting in studio. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting to know. I didn't know that. Yeah. But, uh, Josh, just briefly, where did you grow up, go to school, and how did you wind your way up with um, Humane Society? Yeah, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, uh, cared mostly about baseball, but I also had a heart for animals, uh, just like you know, probably you all and, and your listeners grew mm-hmm. up with dogs. And, you know, the dogs were members of my family. You know, to me, they were my furry brothers. And I, so I always had a, a heart for animals. Uh, and when I was in college, uh, to further my baseball aspirations, I, I looked more into how animals are, are being, uh, you know, raised and and uh, treated in in the food industry. And Mm. so it started to outrage Mm -hmm. me. And I just felt like it didn't live up to my values that Mm. I have regarding animals being treated with kindness and compassion. And and, uh, finally, my baseball career at Keystone College outside of Scranton, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. came to an end after a shoulder surgery. And and, uh, Scranton is famous for either uh, Joe Biden or The Office, one of the two. Right, The Office. Dunder Mifflin, exactly. Dunder Mifflin, exactly. Mif- exactly yeah. right. I didn't, I didn't intern at Mif- Mifflin, but I wish I did. <laughs> uh, but that's where my baseball career ended. I hurt my shoulder there, and uh, I transferred to George Washington University in D.C., and mm-hmm. I started interning at the Humane Society of the United States to follow my passion of, of helping animals. And, and so you... that's how, how I got started. But yeah. i, I got to tell you the funniest baseball story ever that relates to dogs, and then we'll get serious again. Tommy Lasorda, when a reporter referred to Daryl Strawberry as a dog because he didn't hustle, Tommy mm-hmm. said, don't insult my dog. When I throw my dog the ball, he actually hustles after it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Actually, another note, Tommy Lasorda is an animal person, too. I know he is. So that was actually a great reference for this yep. topic. Oh. Absolutely. So, Josh, where, uh, education, did you go? Give us a little bit about that. Where did you go to school and what did you major in and all that? All right, so the first college I went to, mostly for baseball, was called Keystone College. I went there more for a general education uh, for an associate's degree. When I transferred to George Washington University in D.C., it was political science, which makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. being in D.C. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I just wanted to make big changes for animals. And at the time, and, and for a large extent, I still believe this, a way to do it is working to pass laws to prevent cruelty to animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's through working with state legislatures, wow. uh, working through Congress to make these laws uh, come to fruition. And that's why I, I uh, pursued that in college. And I was just walking down the street, guys, one of these days, probably wearing, you know, old jeans and sneakers and a shirt I probably didn't watch and, and uh, just walked into the Humane Society of the United States building. And I was like, hey, I love to intern. Can you give me a shot? Mm. And that was uh, the days before interviews and, and background checks where they'd really think, okay, this guy has to <laughs> look a little bit more professional before doing interviews like this. And uh, they gave me this shot on the spot, and uh, I've been uh, working to help animals ever since. What year, how, how long what, ago was that? What year was that? Yeah. That was 2001. Okay. 2001 in, in D.C., and wow. uh, that was the first time uh, you know, I, I lived in D.C. And, and have been there uh, ever since. And what I learned while interning uh, is that there are just so many areas that we can help animals in the United States. And, and so I got to work on it in a very holistic way to help wildlife to help companion animals like dogs and cats, to help farm animals. And so it got me to open my eyes to a lot of issues out there that I otherwise wouldn't even know about. And what's your official title with Humane Society? Vice President of Farm Animal Protection. Okay, got it. Josh, let me ask you, have you seen that documentary, uh, Food, Inc.? Yes, yes. I thought it was a very good documentary, and I think it it showed how uh, food is produced in a way that I think – uh, probably surprises a lot of people, yeah, the fact, uh, and fact, uh, fact. and I think it 
it, it shows a, a lot of areas that we can improve. Yeah, the fact, uh, and that's what we're all about at the Humane Society of the United States. Is we're talking work fa- in areas fa- to improve fa- farm fa- animals. Factory farms, we're talking, right? Where they just. Uh, you're exactly right. Yeah. You're exactly right. So. Uh, for, for your listeners who might not know the term you just used, uh, a factory farm is typically a warehouse that confines thousands and thousands of animals, oftentimes in small cages where they can't even move their whole life. And, you know, we all probably grew up with Old McDonald's Farm, you know, where animals are outside living an idyllic life. Mm-hmm. But sadly, uh, most farm animals aren't treated like that, and they're treated in ways that if we treated our dogs or cats, we'd be arrested for animal cruelty. So that is typically what a factory farm is. Mm, absolutely. And, of course, I know a lot of it's the, the chicken industry, which is not really – you're more about the – well, I guess it is farm animals, right? Chicken. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it includes chicken. Chicken. I was looking at the website. And, yeah. and uh, beef and, and everything else. Scott, a few years ago, remember they showed the – they're using downer cattle. These are the sick cattle, mm-hmm. and they grind them up and throw them into the food supply. I mean, there's – and what about all the, the uh, antibiotics and hormones and stuff? Are you on top of that, Josh? Yeah, well, first of all, you're 100% right about the downer cow. In fact, the most famous case in the country was in California, and that was Hallmark Westland. It was the largest beef recall in U.S. history. The beef went to school districts across the country, and it was actually from a Humane Society of the United States undercover investigation that found that these downer cattle were being forced to slaughter. And and, uh, for those who may not know, downer cows mean animals who, because they're sick or injured, can't walk. And so they're either dragged there with chains, uh, they're, they're beaten. Uh, and in the case of this investigation, we found that they were actually water tortured by sticking hoses up their nostrils as a form of waterboarding to get oh. them to move. So oh uh, it's very sad stuff, uh, but you're absolutely right. The downer cow issue was a, was a serious concern. It still is, and, uh, and we addressed it in, in uh, big ways with that investigation. Yeah. So, Josh, how many people do you have back there in D.C. at the Humane Society? Uh, we have about 600 people working wow. at the Humane Society of the United States. Okay. Wow. Who, on, who on the Hill are your biggest champions? Uh, we should probably recognize people that you work with uh, you know, politically uh, and give them a little kudos. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, I've got to say the, uh, the California delegation has typically been very positive on animal welfare issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, Governor Brown uh, has been phenomenal. Both senators have been very good. Uh, not all, but most of the Congress people in California have been uh, very positive. So I think uh, your listeners should be proud that that typically their legislators, uh, you know, in California have been very positive when it comes to moving the ball forward for animals. Well, that's good because we are uh, we're pretty. I mean, I know we're the number one agricultural state. I don't know where we stand in the terms of uh, you know food production with, with uh, due to animals, but. I know we're up there. But a lot of it's Iowa and middle, middle, you know, the middle of the breadbasket, yeah. right? Uh, we're yeah, you're you're exactly right. Is that you know California you know is a big agricultural state. It's uh you know there are millions of egg laying hens in California as an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but you're also right that the Midwest is home to uh, a lot of factory farms. I remember, uh, and that's often where a lot of these problems uh, I, come from. I remember driving through Nebraska once and I came upon Ogallala, Nebraska, and the manure aroma. Stay with me. From mm. my, I had the windows up, air conditioned on, and it was for several miles. It didn't do any good. <laughs> yes. Oh gosh. You know that's that's one of the problems of factory farming is that it's not just bad for animals. It's bad for rural communities. Yeah. I mean, you know what you smelled when you were driving through Nebraska. Imagine living there, mm-hmm. and that's the smell yeah, of your I mean, house. People, like people have to me- live there and work there too. 
live there and work there. Exactly right. Exactly right. In these rural communities are often decimated by factory farms. It's so sad that families don't want to have family members come visit. They don't have friends come over to visit. Yeah. Uh, and oftentimes they're in lower income communities. That's hard for them to leave. So yeah, that, you know, it's a it's a sad thing when yeah. it comes to living near factory farms. Not to, and not, not that's one of the many reasons why there's yeah. a problem. And how about mm-hmm. the methane uh, for the environment? That's not so hot either. So, but yeah, anyway, exactly. Josh, yeah. sit tight. We've yeah. got to take a quick yeah. break. We're going to come back with Josh Buck, Vice President of Farm Animals Protection at the uh, Humane Society of the United States. Hang on. All right, we're back with the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life, and this is the time where Richard likes to thank our sponsors. Big thank you to our sponsors. Got a bunch of CPAs and tax preparers. Hey, it's tax time, so why not? Signature Analytics, a great CFO service firm, very specialized on the CFO side. Jason Kruger heads that firm up, a recent guest of this show. Also, more traditional CPAs. Pluto Epic CPAs up in San Marcos. And for those of you who want very efficient income tax return preparation, we also have Happy Tax. Check out happytax.com, a paperless app-based solution to getting income tax returns done very quickly and cost-efficiently, where you don't have to carry boxes of stuff over to your accountant. Also, our great friend Joel Grushkin with Cost Segregation Initiatives, helping real estate owners improve their cash flow. Another recent guest, Paul Hines. Paul, of course, heads up Hearthstone Private Wealth Management. He's their CEO, all fiduciary, all the time, and he's also the catalyst behind SeniorSafeAndSound.org here in San Diego, helping to prevent financial abuse of the elderly. BFO Hub, that's V like Victor, <coughs> FO Hub with Alex Sonkin and Tony Lombardi, helping wealth advisors make heroes out of CPAs to the CPA's very best clients. Also, Elite Lifestyle Management with Michelle St. Clair. For those of you who have no time, Elite Lifestyle Management can help you get your most precious asset back. That would be your time. From simple things like travel arrangements to more complex things like getting the hottest ticket in Hollywood to a movie premiere like Michelle helped Joe and I last year. Also, a new sponsor, Prediction Works, with Mark Long. He's going to be a guest coming up here in a couple of weeks for people in the venture capital space who are looking at investment opportunities. Prediction Works will help you figure out what deals to invest in and which ones to go running away from, screaming as fast as you can. PredictionWorks.com. And for those of you who still have an appetite, after Joe's graphic description, we have some great food sponsors. (laughs) My niece, Melissa Sutherland, owns Solana Beach Coffee Company. In Solana Beach on Coast Highway between Villa de, de la Valle and Loma Santa Fe, Solana Beach Coffee Company, as well as a couple of other great sponsors, right, Joe? Absolutely. We have the Berry Good Food Foundation headed up by Michelle Ciccarelli Lirac, putting on great foodie events throughout the year, and uh, also the Stats Coffee Houses, uh, the original University, uh, uh, Adams Avenue, Normal Heights, University Heights, new one on University Avenue, all open 24 7, 365, with great food, great coffee, and packed all the time. And in some cases, great music. Absolutely. And uh, I know a lot of these sponsors have been working you, with you, Richard, for many years with great success, right? Going on for about three decades. Also, <laughs> wanted to thank John Paul Olmsted, who helped us get Josh Bach arranged as this show's guest. John Paul is hanging out. In, stu- in studio with us talking about tennis down in Indian Wells, one Absolutely. of his favorite topics. So if you go on iymoney.com, there is a sponsor tab at the top of the page, and you can uh, j- there's a drop-down menu. You can learn about any or all of our sponsors there. In addition, all of the guests of the past approximately 335 shows are there as well, and some really great shows. Uh, they're even alphabetical. Uh, yes. They're that al- would be by last name. Yes, they're, they're <laughs> alphabetical, and uh, they're terrific. Uh, I have people still listening to the one with the famous San Diego Chicken and all kinds of Don Rickles, all kinds of great 
make this. Did we so. alphabetize him under chicken or under his last name, he's Giannoulis? Under, he's under Giannoulis. Oh, we believe, should have put so. it under chicken. <laughs> well, if you guys Google <laughs> I Weigh Money and Chicken, you will find it. You folks. will find it. There. Speaking of, hey, that's a good Speaking lead. of chickens. Yes, yeah, that's a good lead and back so to So, Josh, the, pre- the, the present um, environment in Washington, the present administration, um, good for animals, bad for animals? Do do people care more or less given given the environment in Washington? The president, the president administration has not been very favorable to animals at this point. We always have hope for positive change, and, and we, we hope for that to be the case as well. Uh, as one example, uh, there's something called the King Bill uh, that Representative Steve King from Iowa is pushing, mm-hmm. and that would eliminate farm animal protection laws, and laws even go beyond farm animals all across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a shame uh, uh, he's doing it because... Uh, his district is home for more factory farm egg-laying hens than any other district mm-hmm. in the nation. What state but that's is that? one example Iowa. of what Congress Iowa. is doing. Yeah. Oh, gotcha, wow. Iowa. Well, you know, there's. Uh, do you deal with exotic animals like uh, li- like lions, tigers, and things like that, or is that somebody else in your organization? Yeah, our organization does deal with that issue of exotic animals, and uh, you know, there's a whole host of problems that happen when people have animals like lions and tigers in their homes. And yeah, uh, yeah. as an example, in Ohio, uh, there was a, a disturbed person who had them uh, in his home, and they escaped and, caught, and wreaked havoc in the community. So wow. it's just a it's a very bad situation having these exotic animals. As pets. Well, we have a, we have an organization here called Lions, Tigers, and Bears. It's about a Bobby nine, Brink. Yeah, 90, 99 acre um, uh, facility out here in Alpine. Pine, and uh, she goes and rescues these animals. She even has a truck, which goes with her husband or some some crew, and they'll, they'll go to drive to Texas to uh, to save a, a tiger or a lion. And there's some people, crazy people, who will like dig a pit like 25 or 30 feet and just throw an an, an animal like that and keep it down there. Uh, you know, there's just some really disturbed people. I, and uh, uh, yeah, it's I, sickening. I, but yeah, uh, that. It, yeah, that, that's certainly true, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it takes the rest of our society to keep these social norms with how animals ought to be treated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that it's, it's a pretty basic common belief that animals should not be abused. They should not be treated with cruelty. And, and on the farm animal front, California is actually leading the way, not just in past years, but there's a ballot measure this year in California that would be the most far-reaching law for farm animals in history. So I'm excited for the big November vote to hopefully ensure that passes as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of these kids, like, for instance, the shooter in Parkland, uh, this kid was uh, cruel to animals growing up, you know, um, and, and I think if, if, if educators or parents, if we're more aware of, I mean, there's, there, there's obviously a screw loose with somebody who gets, takes pleasure in torturing, a, you know, a cat or an animal or anything like that. And, um, uh, I, you know, they should really enforce the laws. I, I know people can go to jail for animal cruelty, right? Yes, it's, uh, it's certainly uh, illegal to have malicious cruelty to animals in all 50 states. And you're also right, is that typically when there is someone who's violent to other humans, they often started being violent to animals. So it's an early indicator of where that person is going to be in his or her life. You know, there's also other problems that lead to egregious cruelty to animals, such as when you can find egg-laying hens in small cages, that leads to salmonella issues. Mm-hmm. So it's never just an inherent problem of being abusive to animals. It trickles out to other problems in societies, whether it's food safety and food production or human-to-human violence when it comes to egregious one-on-one cruelty mm-hmm. uh, with another animal. Yeah. So, Josh, as a, just as a consumer here in California, what things can I do in terms of my buying decisions and other decisions I make surrounding food? 
Well, that, the, the, the first the thing that people can do in California is go to preventcruelty.ca.com and volunteer for this campaign that mm-hmm. has been joined by thousands of volunteers up and down the state. It would put on the November ballot a measure that would ban not only the uh, production of animals who are confined in small cages they can't even move, like egg-laying hens and veal calves and mother pigs, it would also ban the sale of products that come from those mm-hmm. cruel practices. Mm-hmm. And so right now we're collecting signatures. We, we want to uh, collect about 600,000 of them uh, by the next uh, 50 days or so, by the, by the end of this gathering period, and then get on the ballot. And when we're on the ballot, we hope people vote yes for it. But in the meantime, on your, on your question, the best thing we can do is go to preventcruelty.ca.com and volunteer for this far-reaching campaign that, that has support up and down the state. Let me ask you, when we, when we see these eggs in the store, free range, are those, are those the best ones? What are the best ones we can buy? That- what does free range mean exactly? So most, yeah, that's such a good question. Uh, most egg-laying egg hens are confined in small cages so they can't spread their wings their whole life. They're given less space than a sheet of paper on which mm-hmm. to live. Like actually, like, look at an iPad. That's the space an egg-laying hen has. Mm-hmm. So there are now options that don't involve confining animals in cages, like cage-free, where they're typically not in a cage but still in a barn. Free-range typically means they have some outdoor access. Okay. Pasture means that they're mostly outdoors walking around in pasture. Organic means they're also given organic feed. So those are the different options out there in the market, but certainly the, the worst is the um, what often is called the, um, the the prototypical egg from a cage chicken. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen the pasture what labels. I have seen the cage free, and uh, of course uh, Bill and Michelle have hens in, uh, on their property, so they have the best eggs. But <laughs> yeah, grow your own. Uh, I'm sure, I'm, I, you know, I'm sure those hens are treated so well that if all animals are treated that well, I'd probably retire. Yeah, you know, I, I would be willing to just live on their property, not even in their house. It's so you, nice. You, you know, Josh. <laughs> Josh, you know, San Diego has the most farms uh, per in this county, I think, than almost any other. There's like 10,000 farms here, uh, you know, some small, obviously, but, uh, you know, uh, people don't realize how, how agricultural our county is alone. Of course, we're about the fourth largest. Uh, you know, that, that, that is certainly true, and, and uh, you know, San Diego County actually was a leader in passing what was called Proposition 2 in 2008, which at the time was the most far-reaching law to prevent farm animals from being abused, including giving calves, hens, and mother pigs more space. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, there are a lot of farmers down in San Diego County, and many of them were pushing this initiative forward so that farm animals can have a better life. Yeah, we're going to come back with Josh Bach, Vice President of Farm Animal Protection at the Humane Society right after this. Hang on. All right, we're back with Josh Bach, who is Vice President of Farm Animal Animal Protection at the Humane Society of the United States in Washington, D.C. And uh, I guess we wanted to give some credit to our our local politicians and organizations uh, and papers. So you want to do that, Josh, uh, talking about that initiative that you were referencing? In 2008, Proposition 2 passed, which uh, at the time was a, was a very strict law for farm animals, and San Diego's city council endorsed, San Diego's mayor endorsed, the San Diego Union Tribune was the first newspaper in the state to endorse, and in San Diego had more volunteers, you know, per community than any other place in the state. Mm. So San Diego deserves so much credit to passing Proposition 2, which passed with uh, 63.5% of the vote in November 2008. And that started the pathway of other states enacting laws that became as strict and even stricter against cruelty in the future. Yeah. And Josh, ge- geographically in the country, is it easier for you guys to get traction in certain places and more difficult in others? 
You know, California has always been uh, a wonderful place to work on animal protection uh, legislation. Uh, and I think that, you know, people throughout the state uh, have a real uh, good sentiment when it comes to right and wrong mm-hmm. when it, related to animals. Uh, and California also has a belief of being a leader. So when you combine the idea that animals should be treated well and the concept of being a leader, it creates a perfect atmosphere to work in the state and pass far-reaching laws to actually make the biggest difference you can. So uh, California has been tremendous, and, and certainly uh, uh, it's, it's hard to find a better place to, to lead the way for animals. Gotcha. A question, um, ag-gag laws. What are ag-gag laws, and why is that important? Yeah, they're shameful. Uh, the, the problem is, is that uh, the factory farming industry doesn't want consumers to know how animals are raised within the factory farm walls. And so the, the doors are locked. There's no windows. Uh, you can't get on the property to see how these animals are raised. So what's happened is that whistleblowers started coming out mm-hmm. and saying, hey, this is what's going on. These animals are being abused. In fact, I have videotaped to prove it. And so people all across the country, often for the first time, got to see how animals were confined in cages so small they could never turn around, how they're locked in cages, jam-packed, they can barely move an inch their whole life. And so what did the factory farming industry do? Did they try to make conditions better? No. That was a rhetorical question. Of course we knew. Yes, that was rhetorical. (laughs) You got it. Uh, Instead, what they did unfortunately, is to try to push ag-gag laws to make it a crime to be a whistleblower. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine being part of an industry where it's a crime to tell people what's happening. That is how poorly animals are treated in factory farms, but also it should motivate us all, like right here in California, when even an opportunity to make things better, to go out and, and let's do it. Yeah. Your website, we should give it, humanesociety.org, humanesociety.org. And what was that other California one that uh, we were talking Prevent about? Cruelty CA. Prevent Cruelty CA. Are they still in operation and doing good work? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, that's the campaign going on literally right now. There are people in San Diego right now, as we're talking, collecting signatures on petitions to get this question on the ballot that would ban the confinement of farm animals in cages and the sale products that come from them. So absolutely, San Diego County is a hub of this effort of Prevent Cruelty CA, and, and I would love for your listeners to check it out. Yeah, wasn't yeah and if we get it on the battle, it's going to pass. Yeah, wasn't there an initiative, uh, they wanted a cage just big enough so the chicken could turn around or something? I mean, because uh, they were, I mean, there's something as simple Yeah, you're, as... no, you're, you're right. Is that back, that was the initiative we were talking about back in 2008. So a decade mm-hmm. ago, at the time, there were no laws anywhere in the country related to egg-laying hens. And very few states have anything related to mother pigs or veal calves. So mm-hmm. California became the first state in the nation to mandate more space for these animals. Mm. But what has happened since is a good thing, is that other yeah. places across the country mm-hmm. have caught up. And some states, like Massachusetts, uh, your, your guest former state, that state has gone even further than California. So California led the way, but it's time for California to, again, catch up and lead the way yeah. one more time. So, Josh, do you have any pets in D.C.? Or is it too hard to have pets living in, living in the city there? Uh, you know, I grew up with pets my whole life, but sadly my travel schedule will leave me to be a deadbeat dad. So okay, I one day when I, when I uh, settle down, I, loved, I would love to adopt a dog. But okay. uh, in the meantime, we have a, a dog and a workplace policy at the Humane Society of the United States, so I get to play around with all my colleagues' dogs who are at work. Oh, that's cool. So what are some of the top one, two, or three issues that are, uh, you're facing right now at Humane Society? Any initiatives that we haven't touched upon yet? Well, the big one is what's going on in California, Prevent Cruelty CA, uh, and that's an overarching campaign 
to eliminate the intensive confinement of farm animals. Okay. Uh, and on the farm animal front, that is certainly top of mind because mm-hmm. not only is it cruel to confine farm animals in cages, it just goes against all common sense and all science about how animals ought to be treated. So that is certainly a top-tier issue. We've worked with McDonald's, Walmart, Safeway, and every major food company you can probably think of to start phasing out eggs, pork, and veal from those type of operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second tier in the farm animal front has to do with chickens who are in the meat industry. Um, chickens in the meat industry are genetically manipulated to grow so big, so obese, so fast or full size after just about 45 days. Mm-hmm. You can imagine how big they are to be full size just about a month and a half in. Mm-hmm. So, we're, so what we're doing is launching campaigns to, to, to help these animals actually be healthier and not grow so big and so fast and having better conditions within the farm. Josh, and, yeah. and the other top and the, the final uh, top issue, I would say, is helping the, the move the food industry away from focusing so much on meat, eggs, and dairy. Mm-hmm. Let's have a little variety in there. Let's have some more plant-based products in there. In fact, major meat companies are actually doing this. Tyson Foods is one of the world's largest meat companies, and it's now investing in California-based company called uh, Beyond Meat uh, and other type of companies that are now producing more plant-based foods. So <laughs> if, if we can get rid of these confinement practices, improve the lives of chickens in the meat industry, and eat more plant-based foods, I think we're going to move in a really good direction. Yeah, I was going to ask you, are you a carnivore or a more vegetarian uh, person yourself? Uh, you know, I grew up eating. I grew up a carnivore for sure, and mm-hmm. and for the uh, majority of my life I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, then when I started hearing about what's going on in factory farms, and actually I did an undercover investigation in a slaughterhouse, uh, I started reevaluating wow. uh, my own personal choices. Where, where'd you do that, and what'd you discover? Well, I did it in what's called Shawl, Maryland. It was in a, a major slaughter plant uh, run by Purdue, uh, and I was hooked up with a, a hidden camera. Uh, and what I discovered is that chickens, when they're slaughtered, they are fully conscious when they're shackled. Uh, they're in constant pain. They're scared. Uh, and it, is, it just doesn't uh, resemble anything that we'd ever want to see happen in our society, the way these animals are treated yeah. in the slaughterhouse. So it's heartbreaking, but it also motivates me to make the world better. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's interesting for those of us who do a lot of business travel. There's a lot of challenges when you go out of California to other parts of the country actually finding good food choices and i I guess that's a challenge for you guys too how did you get into the factory how'd you sneak in there Uh, i applied for a job uh, (laughs) through a temp agency and uh a temp agency okay that's great you know know what there's so much turnover in a slaughterhouse they're desperate for workers because you know it's a really tough job and so they put me in there and and I just went to work and, uh, and exposed to a lot of abuses that are going on. And they don't, wow. they don't like unions either, I don't think, Purdue. So, uh, uh, right? I don't think they treat their workers. I'm sure they don't like yeah. unions. So. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's again, what we, it's, it's the situation where what's bad for animals is bad for people. These mm-hmm. slaughterhouses are, are horrible for animals. They're in constant pain, and, and uh, it's just a, a miserable uh, end of their life. It's also bad for workers. Yeah. You know, they're in constant pain trying to shackle these animals. Imagine yeah. trying to shackle an animal, one animal every three seconds, mm-hmm. and your wrist and fist hitting the shackle every three seconds. Yeah. It's a very painful existence for I workers. So it's a bad situation for all. Cannot imagine uh, doing something like that. So, but, uh, any, so federal legislation, you, you think the California legislation will lead to a federal move on this? or? Well, we, well, we certainly uh, have seen in the past that when California moves 
not only do other states follow, but corporations tend to follow as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so history is the best predictor of the future, and, and, and I think this is going to happen again. How about our lieutenant governor? He's, he looks like he's in line to be the next governor. I guess he's is he pretty sympathetic to other causes as well? Yes. Yeah, he's he's very sympathetic Gavin. for animal issues. He's he's been a strong supporter of animal protection throughout his that career. Be Gavin Newsom, right, Joe? Correct. For our listeners. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Gavin Newsom was a big supporter of Proposition Two in 2008, mm-hmm. and uh, he's spoken out you know, on television numerous times about the need to protect animals from cruelty. So the fortunate thing in California is that typically uh, leaders have, and now currently have been uh, spokespeople and in their heart true believers about protecting animals. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I think we have to wrap up. So, Josh, up. quick question. You we still a Cubs to, fan, or are you doing Washington have, Nationals now? No, I'm sticking with the Cubs. Okay, go. good, good, good. good. Anyway, anyway good. All right, really appreciate we have to it. thank you. Thank you, Governor Mike Dukakis. Thank you, Josh Bach for the Humane Society of the uh, United States. Thank you, Richard Muso. Great seeing John you. John Paul, thanks for getting this arranged. Yes, John Paul in studio. Thank you, Justin Hart, our board operating, for making us sound terrific. And to Craig Blanke and Dave Sniff here at KFMB, thanks for all their help. All these podcasts are commercial-free on iowamoney.com, and next week it will be Fred Dickey. Have a good week. See you next time. Bye-bye.